Hello and welcome to another edition of Uncorked with Funny Wine Girl. This is Funny Wine Girl, aka Janine Luby, and it is the end of National Humor Month. If you've been listening and if you haven't, I hope you've been getting humor somewhere because April is National Humor Month. But the thing is, these observances are great and I think they are important because I think when they were created, they were created at a time when perhaps things were not getting enough attention. But as we know, um, we need humor more than just in the month of April. And of course, we need to observe women and celebrate women more than just in March. You know, all these observances are great, but get your laughs, get your humor. Humor provides perspective, bonding, all sorts of awesome things. And in this world today, we need a lot of that perspective. We need help in reducing our stress, managing our stress. So it's a great time because April has been humor month. And then Sunday, May 1st is world laughter day. And if anyone who's listened before, and even if you haven't, I want you to check out my Facebook page, laugh to live. I will be doing free laughter yoga on Sunday, 8 a.m., 11 a.m., World Laughter Day Sunday. Just come laugh with me. If you've never tried it, just try it. It is a little bit strange at first because you're kind of laughing for the sake of laughing. No particular stimulus like a joke or whatever, but it's good. It was started in India by a medical doctor for the health benefits for our mind, our body, our spirit, and it's just fun to do. So please join me on Sunday on Facebook, Laugh to Live. And May is also, it is Mental Health Awareness Month. So what better bridge or transition could we have from April to May than my next guest? Guest, excuse me, my lack of pronunciation. I've had too many Chardonnays tonight. Yes, that's right. Um, it's a Monday night. Why not? Right. Um, so you've heard in March, I believe it was March. Oh gosh. Don't even make me say what day it was March though. Gab Bonesso. She's a firecracker. She's full of energy and she was on before. She's the one who has the hots for my 85 year old father in case you missed that. Um, cause she likes older men. Hey, I can't blame her. I mean, I don't, I don't know, whatever. I'm hating on all men these days. Cause I'm just becoming bitter, but I'll get through it. I'll pass by that stage in my life. Uh, but Gab is hilarious. She is a stand-up comedian. She presents publicly. She speaks, she presents in schools and she's just pretty much fantastic. And she's going to talk to us about everything humor and fun that's going on in her life, comedy, and how she's a mental health advocate. And she's making this world a better place in my opinion. And I believe in a lot of other people's hearts and opinions as well. Welcome Gab Benesso from Pittsburgh. Thank you for having me again. I'm so excited to be back so soon. I'm, I, I feel like like when Johnny Carson would let the comedian come to the couch, like I'm back like two months later. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I am Johnny Carson in this scenario. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are Johnny Carson. in this. I, first of all, I don't get invited on a lot of podcasts. So you're my Johnny Carson. I hope that's okay. <laughs> hey, that's fine. I never knew it was so easy. <laughs> That's not true. I get invited on a lot of podcasts, but with scary men that I don't want to go on. So that's, uh, yeah. I, okay. I like you. All right. Okay. That I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take no. I'll you know what I mean? They're like, can you come to this warehouse, you know, uh, if the, and I'm like, no, I don't, I don't feel safe. No, thank you. I, I could totally get that. I don't think I'd want to go to a warehouse with some strange man either. <laughs> No, or every studio is their, their house, like in, in their basement. I'm like, that's where you trap women. I'm not, no, I'm not doing this. Yeah. And I don't know. Are you okay? So I have to ask you, we were talking before I hit the record button and you watch some horror movies because I said before so. I recorded tonight, I was watching, I was watching, this is how bad I am tonight. I was watching Chardonnay. It was in my glass and it didn't do much, but I watched it and then I drank it and I was watching a stupid horror movie. And we talked about that, but do you get into like murder, like documentaries, things about serial killers and all that crap, like everybody's getting into. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but for, okay. It wasn't even a choice in my world because my mother was obsessed with serial killers. So she read books on every serial killer, had a favorite serial killer, expected us to have favorite serial killers. (laughs) It was ingrained and it was the culture of our family. So, and as when we found criminal minds, the show as a family, it was like, Thank you, Jesus. You gave something to us. We're so happy. Like, yeah, it blew our minds. I mean, my mother was the first person I knew who like her favorite movie was Manhunter. She had read all those, The Silence of the Lambs long before it was a film. Um, Yeah, she, my mother was obsessed with murder crime. And my mother should have been a detective, either a detective or a judge. Had she not started having kids too young, I think her life could have been, yeah, she could have been amazing in either role. But yeah, love all that stuff. So did you guys have like serial killer trading cards or like, how did you celebrate? 
Um, well, I mean, it's so funny when my mother died and the amount of like mem serial killer memorabilia the woman would cut out as it was happening, like her own little like string boards, like it was just wild. The amount of Jeffrey Dahmer stuff I have, I probably can sell to like people who are obsessed with that stuff. But yeah, she and she would have loved like all these new series and documentaries. Like I wish, you know, we didn't have Netflix. We were really broke by the end of our life. So we, we weren't streaming yet. Um, so yeah, it's a real shame. But she uh, she would have loved all that. Her favorite show was Dexter, you know. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, and I tease my friend. I'll give her a shout out so she might listen. Kristen, like she doesn't listen to my podcast, but she likes the... Um, Oh my God. My favorite murders, which is like, actually they're very entertaining. Uh, the one is a comedian, I think an actor. Yeah. They're very funny, very entertaining, but I'm like, well, why won't you listen to mine? Of course she's like, well, I get the live show with you. Why do I need to listen? But, but everyone's obsessed with like serial killers and podcasts about serial killers. And like, I know one of, one of the people I've I'm friends with, who's a comedian, I had her on back in October because she started a podcast where she kind of like, I like what she said, where she said, it's almost like in a way we're kind of like glorifying. It seems like we might be glorifying some of the killers. And she started a podcast, uh, Megan gets, she's out of Philly. She's a very funny young woman. In fact, she's on my show May 5th coming up, but, um, she started a podcast where she talks to the survivors, like people who've lost a loved one, uh, who was killed and everything to hear them talk about their loved one so that you hear their story and not the serial killer. And like, I don't, I don't want to be like, this is right or this is wrong because I'm guilty. I'll say guilty. I'm guilty of it too. I, we're just, for some reason, so many women are like obsessed with, I don't want to say obsessed, but we watch a lot of that stuff. And I do too. I mean, I will watch documentaries on Netflix about murderers. I will, I don't listen to the podcast, but I watch the movies. Why do you think it's so interesting to us or intriguing? I truly think it's because, I mean, I know for me, like when I went to college, I was paying attention when I was in a parking garage. If a white van parked near me, I was like, oh shit. And I would have to sprint to my car because I was assuming there was a kidnapper inside of it or Buffalo Bill. I've actually seen a guy with a broken arm putting a couch on the back of a van once. I was like, nope, not falling for it. Saw that movie. Yeah, I think it's like we watch it so we know how to protect ourselves. I also have read a lot of stuff about how people who have gone through trauma are comforted by trauma. So like watching it is sort of like reinforces like, oh, I'm not alone or oh, you know, like okay. that kind of stuff. And with me, I can also say one of, so I don't know how much you know about OCD, but some people with OCD, um, like me, worry that they will become a serial killer. And so for me, it was sort of like obsessive watching, like, see, that's happened to me. Well, that's happened to me. Well, that's his trigger. And that's why he killed me. I'm going to be a killer. You know, and my therapist was like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? You become a serial killer. All right, lady, that's, that's great. You know, um, cause I have to live with uncertainty. But yeah, um, I'm not going to be a serial killer. I'm, I'm doing so much better. I'm not going to be a serial killer. I don't even worry about that anymore. But yeah, I, I know just that's rooted in me. That's a lot of why I um, continued to like it after my mother introduced it to me. And my mother's childhood uh, was just trauma. So I could see why she was so, I mean, she was obsessed with the brains of serial killers. And even in my mother's eulogy, I, uh, which it was within, in a Catholic church, I said that my mother had always said, had she not had my brother when she was 15 turning 16, because of all the trauma in her life, having my brother was the first time she actually felt love in her whole life. Mm. If that had not happened, she would have become a serial killer. And I said that in her eulogy. And then I also talked about her obsession with serial killers and the priest was not pleased. So <laughs> that's the real thing. He was like, um, can we get back to maybe Paul letters to Corinthians, something from St. John? <laughs> My best friend was like, you made him so ugly. He literally like dropped the Bible when you said it the first time. And then the second time was just like grabbing him like the chair. Oh yeah, it was, yeah. But my best friend is not Catholic, so she gets a kick out of that stuff. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Hey, but yeah. you know what? It's when we're most uncomfortable that we learn, right? It's it's what so he probably learned something that day, I would imagine, from you and your eulogy. <laughs> I would yeah, I think so. I think, yeah. <laughs> he had to take away something. It was an honest eulogy. It was one I thought my mother would like. It had humor and it also had tears. And that's that's what I think she would expect from me. So yeah. And isn't that what really matters? I mean, it's it honored your mother and you gave it in and you said it was honest and it was real. And that's more important than what the priest thought of it, really, quite frankly. Right. Can I um, something bizarre though? Some of pe some people who like follow me here in Pittsburgh. Uh, that come to my shows showed up at my mother's funeral because they wanted to see the eulogy is that I I was appalled I have to be honest to me that's a lit that's ah uh, that's kind where of you draw the line, line. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of 
line. And you know what I mean? Like, we, no, 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 no. But hey, you, you want to go see Gab perform? Yeah, she's giving a eulogy today. <laughs> what the heck? Oh my God. Because I was like, well, uh, did, did you really know my mom? And they're like, uh, I, I know, but I, I just, I had to see your eulogy. I see you do a TED talk, stand up, how to see eulogy, how to see it. Oh, it's all, yeah, okay, okay, cool. Neat. <laughs> So that's maybe what misplaced enthusiasm, we could say, or adoration yeah. or something like that, admiration, whatever we want to say. <laughs> well, we'll move on from the serial killers and they, whatever the reason is, um, they're hot right now. It's, it's becoming, there's a lot of it. And I, I, I like what you, I, I appreciate, I should say what you said, because I never really thought of it from that perspective about like the trauma and that it could be comforting. I never really thought of it that way. I do worry that we are somewhat glorified that you know the whole thing but at the same time I understand what you're saying about it being you know comforting or you're watching and and to be informed like you're being aware okay I need to be aware of my surroundings because I've seen this in a movie so all that can be helpful but I mean at the same time it would be good to honor the people we lost obviously and the people who were yeah so but let's move on from serial killers because they get enough play they do (laughs) That's, in fact, John Gacy's tape, the tapes of John Gacy are sitting on Netflix and I'm like looking like, hmm, not today, John, but maybe tomorrow I'll see you. Don't. Terrible. Terrible. Terrible? Yes. My sister and I watched it. We were so disappointed because truly like the fact that he murdered people, like there were so many clues. It's like appalling. It's literally appalling that that even happened. It's yeah. Well, and I did watch, (laughs) I will say. I don't know if these are the same ones, but on Peacock, which is like part of NBC or Comcast, whatever, like months ago, they did something. It was like a a documentary about him. And I did watch that. And it was, I will say it was very interesting, but along those lines, it was terrible how it was like, holy shit, what is wrong with you people? Like, they're like, hey, the killer's over here. And everyone's like, nope, don't see anything over here. It's like, yeah. He's a nice guy. Okay, okay. Yeah, he's involved in the, what with it? The Knights of Columbus or something along those lines. Yeah, so hey, he's gotta be a good guy, right? And what a perfect cover, you know? But screw John Casey, let's move along. Him and his shitty clown paintings. (laughs) Um, We're moving on. So April's humor, National Humor Month, but like I said, we need humor all the time. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we talked back in March, you are a mental health advocate. You're funny. You perform stand-up. You present at schools. You're a public speaker. Tell us what is going on. Before I hit the record button, you said things are good. You're out there doing more comedy. Thankfully, things you know after the pandemic are slowly getting better. We're out there more in person. So tell us all the good stuff that's going on. Um, well, yeah, well, May is Mental Health Month, and I am doing uh, several, a couple talks that month, uh, one of which is going to be focused on the um, mental health crisis in kids. It's just called The Kids Are Not Okay, and it's uh, the like subtitle is uh, trying to have empathy for yourself and others, or your others and yourself. I don't know, something along those lines, because that is the only thing like through this pandemic that I have come to is just trying to give others grace when maybe they need it. And normally I would snap and really just try to step back and be like, we're all really suffering right now. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give this person the benefit of the doubt today, you know? And that kind of um, just cause everyone is suffering. And I realized like, I started doing a YouTube series about it. And uh, as I was interviewing parents or teachers were emailing me and I was hearing all of these stories, all the adults were basically like, yeah, the kids aren't okay. You're right, Gab, but we're not okay. You know what I mean? And that was even louder. And the kids, when adults are like, they're resilient. Well, time out. They're, they're resilient because they have no choice but to be because they're following your lead. You're cracking. If you think they don't see it, they're terrified. You're the one in control. So we need to fix the grownups to fix the kids. So it's like, we literally have to have empathy for everyone. Like I have not talked to one teacher who doesn't blame a parent and one parent who doesn't blame a teacher. It's just like, hey, we, we've got to work. To, you have to work together to help your kid. You know, you're all a team. Like it's just really, um, it's been a lot. So that's like one focus in the beginning of the month. Um, I have a lot of like different like, I got a bunch of private gigs that I'm really excited about, like birthday parties that I'm doing stand up. Um, there's like a huge event now for, for kids or adults. I have to ask birthday parties for adults for adults. Okay, um, <laughs> uh, and I'm doing a whole like stand up thing for a, a, a disability like summit, but it's like disability men- you know, mental health is also a disability, and I love that it's being included more. And um, I'm really excited about that. I'm headlining that. Um, 
a lot of hosting gigs, mental health gigs, stand-up gigs. I'm, I'm now producing outside of Pittsburgh. I have my first show in Meadville uh, that I put together after a mental health conference I did in Meadville. So just believing in myself more because therapy's going well, valuing myself, not under like rating it when I, you know, make an, in, you know, when I make a contract, I'm not like doing shows for low amounts anymore. Like I'm, I've been doing this a long time. I've built a resume and, and I'm just, I have the confidence I probably should have always had, but I, I finally have it. And it's, it's just, yeah, things are going pretty darn well. I'm, I'm really, really, really happy. I'm glad to hear that. And you, I mean, we probably talked about it before and I'm sure people who hear me might say that I'm a broken record, but that is something that women tend to do more than men undervalue themselves. I do it. I've seen it done with other women. Yeah. I'm glad that you're not undervaluing yourself and that, cause I mean, my God, you've been at it for a long time. You have a lot of great stuff to say and you're funny. So don't undercharge. I know I do. And I, I hate that I do it and I'm aware of it and it sucks that I'm aware of it and I don't change it quickly enough. Um, but it's taken me like, and I don't do a lot of comedy gigs, but I'm doing more now my backgrounds in journalism and communications. I'm doing more marketing things, clients, finally, I'm slowly increasing my prices and it's taken me getting these bigger clients to go, okay, now I can charge more because they say I'm good enough, which is like, what the F? <laughs> yeah, it's just somebody else be like, oh, so you value me. So I should value me. Yep. That's how that works. But no, yeah. it's true. And, and for me for so long, I think, um, it's, it's odd. Like I openly would talk about bipolar, but I also felt like everyone, like I owed everyone, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like, oh, you let me, you let me be a part of this. You let me do my standup. You let me talk about this. So, you know, whatever you can pay, you know, like I was so like, that was a, I don't know. Like I really was like, didn't value myself. I was really down on myself. And I don't think I realized that until my current therapist. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard though. And I don't know, like, um, it, it's part about what we believe we deserve and things like that, but it's also hard in the industry too, because, um, between entertainment and like, so for myself, when I left my day job, I was doing laughter yoga, which is like more laughing for therapy, that kind of thing. Well, people kind of assume, well, it's laughter and it's happy and it's positive and it's like therapy. So it should be free or something. You know what I mean? And I was getting all these nonprofits that were interested and it was like, oh, come speak at our, whatever, come speak at our volunteer luncheon, our senior luncheon. And there wasn't even a conversation about money. And I didn't even ask like an idiot. I mean, imagine like a tree cutter or an HVAC person just being like, hey, yeah, I'll do uh, Never. They'd be like, well, here's my rates, but why do we do it? And then like with entertainment, because it's accepted and, and I, you know, I admire people who are so passionate to do stand up that they're just willing to perform like in front of a tree or for a pothole or for anyone and not get paid. I don't have that in me that my DNA, although I have undervalued myself, but I don't like if we keep perpetuating it, it's going to continue to be free, you know? Yep. That's exactly how I feel. I was, I was just deeply thinking about that last week where it's like, it's almost like they're, I, and it's not the same, but it's like they're union breakers. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you, all you people who are full-time engineers and, you know, dads who just love to get out of the house and get to the comedy show to talk with your buddies. And you're literally taking money from people who do this professionally. Like, that's how I feel. Like, it's just, I'm not a fan, but I'm also like my whole new attitude with stand-up is just like, it's sort of what I've always been doing, but now I'm like, kind of like proclaiming that I'm doing this. I, look, we can't lie that like the idea of comedy came out of like a foal making the royals laugh. That in itself is rooted in patriarchy. American stand-up is so rooted in patriarchy. It disgusts me to a point that I can't even handle it. From the minute I started doing stand-up when men would just immediately be like, no, 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 don't do that. You, you can only do five minutes and you have to prefer, perfect five minutes before you can ever try to write new jokes. And I was like, ugh that's not art. And that's so gatekeeping. I'm revolted by this. Like I literally have never believed anything any man has ever told me about stand-up. Now, do I play a lot of clubs? No, but I found my own route and I'm going to continue to do that because I find the system of stand-up utterly revolting. And I'm glad I finally got to say it on a woman's podcast. Yes. <laughs> and wearing a rad dad t-shirt. <laughs> what? What's I'm, with the I'm rad the dad t-shirt? You're the you are the godfather. Drop the mic. Hey, hey, yo. hey. well, I can do that one. I'm Italian, but two, uh, my <laughs> yeah, dad I'm sorry. I'm Irish. I, I, I was culturally appropriating there. No, you're, 
I give you permission. Um, no, you. but my dad, this is so strange. And people are always like, wait, what? So my dad never called me by my name ever. And his pet name for me was either dad, daddy, or pops. Anything I called him, my three, or dad, if I was like, hey, daddy-o, he'd be like, hey, daddy-o. Like we, he never called me that. And then his nickname for me was Scorcher, which he basically meant devil. <laughs> And of all the kids of five children, I'm the, oh, I look identical to him. If I put on a fake mustache, I'm his doppelganger. I'm exactly like him. Like it's like when he died, everyone's like, holy shit, you're Beanie. Yeah, I am like his youngest child. My mother was horrified by it. She was like, of all my children, why did my little baby girl have to be her father? You know? Um, yeah, so I am, this is that, this you're is red my dad. dad. <laughs> and I got it for 97 cents. Like, come on. Holy crap. How can you yeah. beat that? Like you have to wear that shirt. Thank you. It's my new official, like any comedy thing I'm wearing the rad dad. I got to go. Yes. Yes. But I love what you said about finding your own path. Like you don't do the clubs. You don't because, and again, I, I, when I talk about this, I always put out, out the little disclaimer, like I'm not performing that much, whatever. So I'm not trying to speak for comedians, like as a profession, I don't, I'm not doing that. But years ago when I got into it, I was trying to get as much stage time and I was only going locally. Cause I thought I'm not trying to make a career out of this. I'm not going to be going to New York city once, twice, three times a week. I live in Scranton close enough, but I'm lazy and I'm not doing it. So I did it locally. But it's like it didn't pay. And it's that whole bullshit patriarchy, which is why I started my ladies comedy nights at wineries, because I'm like, I'm deciding what I charge. I'm paying me a fair amount. I'm not like, oh, yeah, we thought we'd pay you with a, a glass of wine and some, you know, wing bites. Like, no, I'm paying me. And I guess what? The women I hire, I'm paying and I'm telling them what they get. They're not getting twenty dollars. They're getting a decent pay. And I've actually crazily enough when I've sold more tickets than expected, given them more than I said I would give them because that's what I believe is fair. So kudos to you. And yes, there are ways to do it. Make it happen. You can do it is the point. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, no, it's it, it, it just oh. I, I was just telling someone recently too that this guy who he always like deems himself a feminist, like a feminist, you know, I'm sensitive, all this stuff. He does mental health, but he does mental health in a way where like he could never do a conference because you leave, you leave like so on edge and like scared for him. And you're just like, nah, it's not working. But, um, but after like every set I do, he'll come up and, and, and try to rewrite one of my jokes. Like, I don't know if men have ever done that to you. And he's never like, he doesn't even have the resume I have. He's, he doesn't work professionally. Like, it's horrifying. And everyone, I'm like, he's not, a how's that? He's jokes to me. Like, it's just, it's so frustrating. And I've had like, I, I remember a, I was booked on a benefit at the Pittsburgh Improv. We all got like seven to 10 minutes. I went, they put me up second because I was a woman. Of course, I couldn't go later in the show. I kill, right? Just freaking gave it my all. Guy gets up after me. is like, well, thanks, Gab Vanessa. Way to work to try to make people laugh at a free show or something like, like something like that. But like shits on me. But then also shits on the fact that this, you should be working your ass off. Who cares about the free show? Every show matters, man. Like why are you're not a real performer? You're just a guy who wants to talk about his wife in a mean way in a microphone. I just, I don't have time for this. How original. <laughs> yeah. And I had just started. I was like maybe 24. You know what I mean? Like they, it's been really hard. Like I literally have been subjected to bullying in this scene and can, and I won't give up. And I almost like stay here just in a way to just like read between the lines. You know what I'm saying? Middle fingers yeah. to everybody. I, I almost just want to stay here to piss you off. You know, it's so annoying, but yeah. But that's why I'm branching out and starting to produce outside of Pittsburgh because I figure I'll eventually just keep going east of my state that I'll eventually end up in New York and then it'll all work out the end. Do you have gigs in Scranton yet? Damn it. That's what I want to know. I want to see you here. I know. I'm going to make that happen. I am going to make that happen. I'm trying to, I've been, I have to get a map of PA though. Cause like all my connections are like so different. It's like Warren, Hanover, Buffalo is closer to here. Erie Meadville. <laughs> like I have to just like get my shit together do a PA tour. Um, I'd love to like end in Jersey. Are you anywhere near the silence of the lamb's house? Do you know if you're near that? Isn't that in Ohio or no? It's in, in PA. Because huh. my friend and I were thinking of renting it and doing a comedy show there. And oh also, because you get it for the whole day, we might film our Christmas special as well because we're twisted. But yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I don't know, but I'm going to have to look it up. Do you know the name of the town? 
no, but I'll, I'll find it and send it to you because you can like rent the house. It's like an Airbnb. Now. That is nuts. Okay. Let me know. No, I'm, I'm like two hours North of like the Philadelphia area, Philly. So okay. yeah. Oh, wait a minute. So you're like, is are you near the Poconos? Yes. Yeah. I'm like 45 minutes from the Poconos. I can probably, okay. Cause my, I have a friend, my business partner has a rental or has an Airbnb in the Poconos. So I, he always is like, you can stay there for free. So I need to set something up. Okay. We need to get you here. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, and honestly, I would, I don't have the money to bring you here. Cause I wouldn't insult you. Cause that's what I believe in paying, you know, what you deserve, which I don't have the money for. I do like two or three shows a year. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be like, Hey Gab, would you come out for $200? Cause that's not fair. So, um, but if but I can get, <laughs> if I can get more, I would. <laughs> I want to stay for free and I have merchandise. We can maybe make this work. Let's okay. Up. All right. We're, I'm going to, you know what? I vow this to my listeners, <laughs> you, you faithful listeners. We are going to get Gav Vanessa here to Northeastern Pennsylvania because you got to see her. So we're going to make this shit happen. We are going to make it. Her and her rad dad t shirt will grace your I'm presence. Coming. You're going to be I'm here. Coming. So tell us a little bit about, so you've got some mental health, um, are these like for organizations, um, like business, what are those kind of gigs that you've got going on? Yeah, they're, they're, they're mostly for like, um, I, I mean, I guess they're nonprofits. They're like, you know, either associated with like a hospital or, okay. uh, two coming up or through a trauma. I did like, um, it was a trauma informed therapy conference, which I'm really into. I really, that's like my, so I'm really into it the most. Didn't, like I really believe in it and I believe it has saved my life so I'm I just think if your mental health diagnosis uh if like so for me they were like oh you have bipolar disorder but it's because you went through a trauma and then we never treated the trauma and just kept feeding me with pills for this bipolar disorder and then I worked really hard and was able to get off the pills for bipolar disorder but we still never treated the trauma and I never felt good and I never got it together and now I'm treating the trauma and I have been deemed uh by I've managed my bipolar and I'm not being treated for it anymore so it's like hey maybe we all should start with the trauma part first I'm just saying and that's what this like line of therapy is so they found me through um because I do a lot of resilience in my talk and um and yeah so it's like a lot of organizations that work on trauma there's a couple private groups they're like a private organization that like do stuff in the community and they've hired me to do some events um and I might be getting some writing gigs out of that which I'm oh, really cool. excited about because I want to do more I used to write for different like alt newspapers in Pittsburgh not all the funding dried up and um this would be specifically writing first person essays about my mental health and that's kind of the kind of book I would like to write so I feel like oh this could be a really good opportunity if I could get paid to write my story and then maybe turn it into something so that's awesome. That's great. And, and you said before we hit the record button, you said you are like feeling super duper, like happy, healthy, which is wonderful. And I don't know if you want to share a little bit with the audience, just like how you've gotten there. I know last time you spoke in March to me, you were saying how happy and how important it is to have a, a therapist that you jive with, that you are happy with, and you are very pleased with yours and who's, who's helped you a tremendous amount. Uh, yeah, she's unbelievable. I mean, truly like well, like when I, when I went to her, it was, you know, the beginning of, not the beginning, it was March of the pandemic. So a good six months into it. And I was not in good shape. I had been lying to myself in the beginning that I, I'm going to get through it. I'm the best at trauma. And, you know, I was literally Daffy Duck. My beak was on the back of my head by, by the time I found this woman, but I did do my like due diligence because I knew I wanted someone close to my age. I wanted a woman and I wanted a woman who was Italian because I needed her to understand the patriarchy that existed within my family dynamic. Um, which she does understand all of that. But what I loved about her right away was she she didn't dismiss me because I've had other therapists who are like, I don't think you are bipolar, which just sets me off because I've been treated for it for so long that it's like, what do you mean I'm not bipolar? Like, why would why was I on all that medicine? And why are you talking? You know, like it, it, it just, it, it's a trigger for me, to be honest. If you say I'm not bipolar, I lose my mind because it's like, well, no, no, no. Then what did, what did you do to me for my whole life? You know, like it's a lot. So she never did that, but she would just say like, let's not treat diagnoses and let's treat symptoms. And when I got in there with her, I was like, you know, I've done everything that has been asked of me with bipolar. Um, you know, I'm doing everything and I'm still not happy. I, I'm just, and I was explaining to her, I have like all of these things. And she's like, oh, those are compulsions. And I'm like, and then I have all these things. And she's like, those are obsessions. And there's like, and I have all these things. And she's like, 
you've gone through a lot of trauma. That's your amygdala. And, and then I tell her all these other things. She's like, you have severe anxiety from your PTSD and your amygdala. And then your OCD, they're all combined. It's like a trifecta. And it often reads as bipolar. And I do think you have bipolar when you go through a trauma. So let's just treat all the symptoms. And so we started with like, I, I had a deep fear of bugs. We, we worked on that exposure therapy. I'd go and look at bugs and ask to hold bugs at stores and do all that kind of stuff. And now, and I, for, for over 10 years, I didn't open a window in a house. For 10 years, I had duct tape over vents. And now I can, I had windows open. You know, I had them open in my house where I'm rooms I'm not in right now. You know, just things that I've not been able to do that I can do. Um, we're now doing this thing called, I get it wrong every time, EMDR, EMDR, I think it is, where she puts like these clickers in my hand and then I close my eyes and she makes me relive traumatic events. And then by doing the clicker, she gets me to get rid of the false belief systems that have been rooted in my trauma and then get the belief system I wanna have about myself. It has been the most remarkable work I've ever done. I have faced fears lately that I have never thought I could face. I mean, I've lived in Pittsburgh because I didn't think I could ever handle moving. I my fear of dirt, I can't travel. It's so been hard, so hard for me to work because hotels, I, I mean, the amount of anxiety and fear I have about a hotel, I just won't go. I just won't travel. I just spent the weekend in Hershey at some not great hotel with my best friend and my godson. I've been invited to go on this trip for 15 years and this was the first time I actually could do it. I enjoyed myself. I didn't limit myself because I was afraid I might not sleep. I was like, you know what? I might not sleep and that'll be okay because I get to be with my favorite people. Like, I, I just can't even begin to tell you I'm not like I'm Gab, but like happy and with a clear head. I, I don't know. Like every day I'm just like, is this how is it? I've never been like this. Like, it's just, it's like a new way of life. I don't, I don't explain it. And then I'm afraid to talk about it because I don't want to have like survivor's guilt now. I'm like, oh God, you, you can't say that you're doing well. Everyone expects you to be on the edge. And it's like, but I'm not. I'm not, I'm, I'm like digging Cat Stevens music and thinking I might become a Buddhist, man. Like that's where I'm at right now. Like it's pretty rad. <laughs> I'm a rad dad. You're a rad dad. <laughs> okay, first of all, Hershey, sweetest place on earth. Second of all, Hershey's only a little over two hours from me. So, hey. Fish, I just said to my sister, I am gonna start booking in Hershey. One, yes. cleanest amusement park I've ever been to. Two, sweetest place on earth. It Yes. We're gonna be doing a lot of shows together. I hope you're. I hope you're mentally prepared that um, we're gonna be doing a lot of shows together. It's just a fact. <laughs> I I don't know if I'll ever be prepared for Gab because you're pretty awesome and amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I'd love that. But yeah, you're red. You're a red dad. Yeah, and you're so a person. So we're a great team. <laughs> hey, I, hello everyone. I'm the great Karnak, his pal Johnny Carson. <laughs> Uh, I am thrilled for you. I am, I am very happy that you're so happy. Um, can I ask you, how did you find, like this therapist sounds like ideal for you. You're thrilled. How did you find her? Like, was this literally like your provider directory? Like, all right, let's give her a try. And I don't mean as, not asking personal, but like, was it just by chance? Well, yeah. So I Googled um, my, my healthcare plan and pits my area uh, uh, a whole list of people came up. So I started going through names, looking specifically for women. Uh, then I found one with an Italian last name. And I was like, well, let me look into her. Uh, I went to her website. And the best part about going to her website is I didn't see on her banner that said, I am not accepting new patients at this time. I just like literally didn't see the very first thing written on it. And I'm looking through her resume and she had a history with um, mood disorders, um, sexual trauma, sp specifically childhood sexual trauma. Um, anxiety. Um, she just started getting her certs in um, OCD. So that wasn't like main on her website, but the mood disorder and trauma, I was like, that's perfect. That's, and then she was Italian. I was able to find how old she was. She was around my age. I'm like, okay. Uh, and so then I just reached out and she said that she reached back with like, you have to like fill out like what's going on as to why you need therapy at this time. And she wasn't, she was going to tell me she couldn't treat me and she was going to send me to somebody else. And when she read how when she read what she read, she was like, oh my God, no, I have to see this woman. And so she made space for me and she didn't have the space at the time. And then she had to make more space because I had to see her two, twice a week. So yeah, um, it was just like really lucky in that sense. So it was probably meant to be, I'm guessing. I, I don't know if you believe in that or not, but kismet, maybe it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely do. I really feel like, um, like she's someone like it's, I've never really felt this because all my other therapists have been much older women and they've had more like mommy roles. Like my first therapist, this is going to sound so, yeah when I'm manic I definitely have like 
breaks with reality and fantasy. And my first therapist looked identical to Barbara Streisand in The Prince of Tides, which is one of my favorite movies since childhood. And uh, I was just like, I would think of her as Dr. Lowenstein. So like, I was obsessed with her, but for like the wrong reason. Um, but, I, but my point being, Leah, my current therapist, is the only therapist I've ever had where I was like, oh man, you know, if she wasn't my therapist and I'd always been where I am mentally now, I think we could have been pals. You know what I mean? Like I actually like truly like her. She's a really good, nice person. That's, that's great. That's awesome. Um, you mentioned, and you referenced a couple of times or mentioned trauma, like the, the role of trauma and dealing. Um, I'm working now, I mentioned I do marketing. So I'm working on this project with a local college now where we're trying to remove the stigma around opioid use, uh, opioid use disorder. And it's interesting. I'm learning a lot. I mean, I I'll admit I, you know, I come from a, a Catholic family. My grandfather probably drank too much. I'll admit sometimes I drink a little too much wine. I don't think it's alcoholism, but it's probably social. It borders on social alcoholism probably. Um, but I've never had anyone in my life real close to me who's who's overused drug, drugs, although we see it all the time. Sadly, in the paper now, a lot of young people dying, um, but I'm learning a lot. And a lot of what I'm learning from the people we're talking to in the local like uh, recovery centers and rehab, the people who are like certified rehab specialists and all that are saying a lot of it is tied to trauma. Um, that that's really what it, and, and to your point, like what's not being treated is the trauma. So then it kind of spills over into the use of drugs. I know I'm not asking you this as an expert or anything, just, just your personal opinion. Have you, and have you seen that? And do you believe that's kind of true? Yeah, without a doubt. So, um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you, my, so I'm the youngest of five, uh, my oldest brother, 20 years older than me, second brother, 19 years older than me, third brother, 16 years older than me. My sister's eight years older than me. So my brothers were almost more like uncles. You know what I mean? I, it, they weren't the same age as me, but my mother treated us all like little children. So the dynamic was really off. Um, my second oldest brother from the time I was born was, um, an addict. Um, I, like one of my very first memories was him being hospitalized when I was three because he had been injecting cocaine and he broke mm -hmm. all the platelets in his body. Um, mm -hmm. So he had to go in for blood transfusions. I think he was in for a month and then he came back and lived with us for a little while. My mother had to rehab him. Um, and so that was a chronic thing in my life where my brother would get into really bad places. He'd come home. My mom would be rehabbed because we didn't have money. And um, it was real rough. And he and my mother did not have a very good relationship. And he and my oldest brother did not have a very good relationship. And, um, you know, be, uh, you know, they would justify their abusive behavior because of his behavior. And uh, it was really rough. I saw a lot of violence. I saw a lot of um, just too much a little kid should ever see. Um, but for him, what really kills me is, is the one brother, our oldest brother is the one I, I don't talk to. I, I once I sold my mom's house, I put up that boundary because I went through emotional abuse with him. He moved home when he was 32 and I was 12 um, because he was dealing with mental health issues and he, all of his resentment and anger towards my parents, he took out on me verbally. I had a lot of verbal uh, abuse. It was terrifying. I, I lived in anxiety and fear my whole, from 12 into my 20s. I mean, no, into literally my therapy with the clickers. I'm finally at peace. I'm not afraid of him anymore. And I really love who I was my whole life. But anyway, beyond that, um, he was really, it was a really bad dynamic. You know what I mean? Like he would play my mother and it, it was just awful, the whole situation. But my mother, the oldest brother was who my mother was. He's perfect. And this one, I keep pointing here because his urn is right there. Sorry. Uh, I was very close with him. We were 19 years apart, but we were very, very close. We're very, he, I look a lot like him too. Um, so yeah, I, I know for a fact that like my brother trauma, mental health, like it, that's a hundred percent why he was an, an addict. And by being an addict, he experienced more trauma instead of like getting the help that he needed. And in our family, it was always, well, everyone else can drink. Pep just has to take it too far, you know, instead of why is Pep taking it too far? What's going on that Peppy needs to drink so much? What is he trying to run away from? What is he hiding? You know, or what is he afraid to say? And it was really sad. And when he'd get drunk, especially as when like he'd start crying and talk about the trauma and they would resent him for it. Be like, he goes around town and tells our business. And it was just really sad, you know? Um, and I wish I could have like, I mean, I do feel like he and I, at least I, you know, I, I would like have his back and be like, oh no, Pep, I see it. No, Pep, I know. Um, but that's still not enough. And I didn't have the skills to help him. And I was the youngest. And so a year after our mother died, he, he overdosed on Christmas Eve. Um, he had been hooked on oxycodone. And then when he couldn't get at that anymore, he 
started using heroin. And that was like the first time when fentanyl got into the batches. So he was in that like first batch of people who died of a fentanyl overdose and it was over Christmas weekend and that was 2016. Yeah, so no, I, I'm 100%. I think we have to start asking people, why are you drinking? You know, like, or like, what's going on? What's like, what do you, why do you, what do you need? Yeah, what do you need? yeah. And, and, you know, some of the folks will say, you know, like the one woman who told her story, she said she didn't come from a, from trauma, but from what they see, like, that's a real common thread where a lot of it's coming from trauma. And the one woman uh, referenced uh, Johan, and I can't think of his last name, but he's, he's British and he's done Ted talks about it, but like, he talks about how a lot of it is coming from trauma and they're, it's not being treated. And if it never gets treated, then the addiction's not going to get treated or it's not going to go away. And it's, I mean, I'm learning a lot, but it is also very, it's eye-opening, but it's also very sad, like what's going on. Um, but, but trying to remove the, the point of the project is trying to remove stigma around it because it's not just, oh, that only happens to this kind of person or that kind of person. No, it happens to, you know, Joe down the street, who's a mail carrier. It happens to Susie, who's a teacher. It happens to anybody and everybody. And we need to kind of have more compassion and love and try to get to the bottom of it if we can. Can, but it's it's certainly not an easy thing that we can fix for sure. And I think people have to start also realizing that we all deal with trauma differently. So something that can ruin my life might not ruin your life. You know what I mean? You may have a brain that can actually go, oh no, I know what that was and I'm putting that where it goes. And me, it destroyed. You know what I mean? It just, it was something I couldn't not think about. And um, and it changed the way that I thought about everything. And um, and we also, our mother, went, I mean, her childhood was so traumatic that I do believe that the way she raised us was um, through trauma. I mean, we it was it was almost systemic in that sense, like that she only knew how to think in trauma sense. Like she was, I mean, I just lived in fear. I couldn't even go in the woods behind my house. You can't go in the woods behind your house. The, uh, 10 years ago, a, a girl and boy were killed down there by a serial killer. You're never going in the woods. You know, like that kind of fear. Everything was fear, fear, fear. My whole life has been rooted in fear and it's kept me from doing everything. It's it's really, um, yeah, I, I really, and then because my mother went through so much trauma, like our trauma was almost like laughable. Like our trauma could never be her trauma. So we were constantly told to like, not talk about it, forget about it. Don't talk about it outside this house, get over it. And it was like, and I don't, I think my brother who passed away and myself were two people who we can't just get over it. We were not those kind of people. We were two people who needed to talk about it. And um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm really, I believe that if you, if you're, if you got a diagnosis and they said to you, yes, you are this because of trauma and they just want to treat you for the other thing, be like, no, I want you to treat the trauma first. Just let's yeah. see how that goes. Treat my yeah. trauma first. Wait, this I is... mean, which makes sense, right? I mean, if you have like a health, physical health issue, it's like you'd want to get to the root cause, right? I mean, and that yeah. just makes sense. That's common sense. Um, it's kind of like in hearing you talk about like your mom's trauma and then your trauma, but yours couldn't really compare. It was nothing to compare to hers. It's amazing. And I don't say this to be flip or light, but like, it's amazing that anybody is quote unquote normal. You know what I mean? Like we, there's so much disorder and there's so much, which it kind of, it's, it's difficult sometimes. And I, I'm just, this is just what I feel like. What is a mental health? like issue or disorder and what is like, you know, serious versus just, you know, we all have some kind of anxiety, right. But we don't all have the same mental health issues. And then how much is, I know you mentioned earlier about giving people grace and, and, uh, I, I get that too. And I find myself and I, I don't like where I'm going. I'm, and I just turned 50 in September. So it's part hormones I'll blame, but like, I'm starting to really like get angry about so much and like dislike so much and be negative so much. It's like, how much grace do we give people and how much do we just say, well, they're an asshole. You know what I mean? Like they're an entitled oh, yeah. asshole. And it's like, oh, well, you know, his father wasn't nice to him. So I guess it's okay that he's an asshole now. Like it's hard. It's hard being oh. a human. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about, it's so funny. You Like so many things you're saying, I'm like, I just was thinking about this, but I was taking a walk in the beautiful sun today. And I was just thinking about something that I really want to make clear when I do talk to kids, especially about the anti-bully movement and about kindness. And it's, you know, I want you, if someone's like a bully or being mean, ask them to stop. If they don't stop, you walk away. If, it, if they are following you and this is continuing, you have to go and get an adult, someone bigger, right? But I really want to say like, I think give grace and give kindness, but if you are not receiving it back, 
walk away. Like, that's it. Like, give it you. you I mean, that's what I guess I mean. Like, we have to give each other grace, but I don't want you to be a punching bag because then you're going to start not liking yourself. And then we're going back. Like, I want my whole thing is self-love first, because if you don't love yourself, you can't give it away to anybody else. And then we're going to go from there. But I do think like the reason with the grace, this is so wild, but I've been the people that I'm presenting for we like meet once a month to talk about this talk coming up and which is something I never do with anybody, but this is the group that really kind of like set me off. So I, I will do anything for them. But um, we were talking about, uh, you know, what's going on the pandemic, mental health crisis and kids. And I was saying how the parents are complaining about the teachers, teachers are complaining about parents. And the one woman who booked me was like, oh no, because I mean, people tuning in are gonna be parents and teachers and I want you upsetting anybody. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not gonna upset anybody. That's not what's gonna happen. I'm like, I only speak from, first person, my story. But here's an example of where a teacher could have given me grace and it could have made the difference. I remember this time I was in sixth grade, got into my English class, which I always did very well in. Miss Parkinson was my teacher. And she said, okay, everybody get out your book report. And I panicked because I completely had forgot about my book report, which was not me. Like I, I was a last minute kid. I would have done it the night before, but I would have done it. And like, I literally blanked about it. So immediately I'm in like anxiety, PTSD, sweating, like, oh my God, I'm such a loser. I'm an idiot. How can I do this? How can I forget? Like just hating myself. And then immediately I remember my mom and Peppy got into a huge fight. It got physical. I was scared. I was up in my bedroom, hiding in my closet, sobbing, waiting for it to be resolved, coming down, having my mother have to explain to me for three hours, like what happened and why that's going on, not getting enough sleep for school the next day. So yeah, I, I know I didn't get that assignment in, but I also couldn't say that to Miss Parkinson because my mother, because of her trauma and all she ever wanted to be was the world's best mom. I can't say that anything bad to my house or that narrative is going bye-bye. So I have to keep my mouth shut. And Ms. Parkinson's just like lays into me, like I'm lazy and blah, blah, blah. And it just sucked. You know what I mean? Like that day I needed grace, didn't get it. And I was a good student. And that's where it's like, oh, come on, man. Really? You couldn't give me just like, you didn't have to give me that disdain. I don't know that, that, that was just like a moment I thought, I'm like, you know, if one teacher hears that and is like, shit, maybe a kid I don't even know has trauma at home. Maybe I should just give them a break this time. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like that's it was that kind of that, you know, it's just one example, but yeah, no, no, totally. And like, I, I mean, I'm not comparing my story at all. Trust me because I, I didn't have that traumatic, but I just remember, I'll never forget that I went to Catholic school. So I will never forget. I don't know. I mean, my issues, I was shy. I always say, I don't know if I'm an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert because I was a shy kid and I had an older brother. I only played with him. And like, I remember going to kindergarten and not wanting to leave my mother's side. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't, I was completely shy, completely like, I don't know. I just was backwards or socially awkward or whatever. And I will never forget. I had a, a lay teacher in kindergarten, but a sister Anne Marie was the first grade teacher. And I can visualize the day on the playground when she said, you know, we don't take crybabies in first grade. And I'm telling you, and again, I'm not trying to say it was traumatic. Like I'm, you know, like whatever, but it changed me because I was in first grade. I was the kid she would ask to watch the class when she left. I was yes, sister, no sister. I will do, I, and I'll never forget. We don't take crybabies in first grade. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be a crybaby then. Cause I'm not going to disappoint sister. And it's like, so you hear that, you know, something like that. It's like, I don't want to say I was traumatized for life. And when I say certain things to my mom now, she's like, oh, you had the worst childhood. And I didn't, but like, that's just the point. Like in some ways we're like, everything could hurt really if it's, yeah. but I, you know, we don't know because we can't, we literally can't go around with kids gloves, but at the same time, things do stay with us. Right. I mean, they just oh, do. Definitely. definitely. And like, for me, that's like something like with my oldest brother, like I did, I never even would have called it trauma until this current therapist. Like I just would tell stories and be like, oh yeah. And then this time, and then I had IBS because he was screaming at me because rang Christmas lights and I was being berated and you know, whatever, I would just be telling these stories or like being, he shamed me for having my menstrual cycle. I'm 12 years old going through it for the first time. And he's like, this is disgusting. We should not, he should not be allowed to throw away her old used stuff in the garbage can in the bathroom. She'd have to walk everything down to the ground. I mean, it was awful, like literally. Um, but I wouldn't have called that trauma. I wouldn't have, I never would have. And then she was like, oh my, 
you you have like I have such issues with him. Like I would for years be like he's a serial killer. I think he's a serial killer. Like, I mean, I wouldn't go home if I knew he was there. I mean, like I, I I would like the the scaredness. Like it was just awful. It was literally awful. But like what I look back now and it's like I was a little kid. You know what I mean? You're you're 32. I'm 12. I'm a 12 year little girl who was so excited. My big brother who didn't live at home was finally moving home and I was going to spend time with him. And every time someone would come to my I, I love you. Like I was that kid. I was a love child. I just gave my whole heart and that's what I received back from an adult who is my brother and you know I'm sure people are like the world war ii generation would be like ah, that's not trauma yeah it is you know what it is that guy should have loved me he should have been there for me he had a there was a bigger age difference between us than him and my parents so for him to sit and blame and hate them and resent them and say every bad thing they did to him and then he turned around and took it out on me a kid there was a bigger difference between us so it's just, you know, I, I do hear what you're saying, but I almost like that story, you respected your teacher. You love, she was a nun, a nun, a nun telling you, you're not allowed to be a crybaby. You're not allowed to have your natural emotion. I don't know. That's not, I think I get that would mess a kid up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely changed after that. After that, I was like, I am the, I joke about it now in my comedy. I'm like the step for child. I like got in line and it's just like, but I guess this is what I struggle with now too, about like, and I brought up the whole, like, you know, what you said about giving people grace and I understand it, but at the same time, I also feel like we're getting to be more, there's a lot more sense of entitlement and asshole-ish. So it's like, everyone is going through something, but at the same time, how much do we forgive where it's like someone who's just consistently or has a pattern of just not caring about other people? Like, and that's where I'm getting, and I know it's partially my hormones and I'm starting to like, not want to be around people and negative. It's like, I go for a run. People don't want to stop in crosswalks and people litter. And they just like, their dogs are running all over. They're barking for hours at a time. They don't want to pick up their poop. And I'm just like, do we care at all about each other? But then I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm just being so harsh because these are little things. So, and then I get on myself, like Janine, you're not a kind person anymore. What's wrong with you? So it's just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's no question in that, but I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, when it comes to strangers like that, it truly can go either way. Like I, I, I'm so guilty of road rage. So guilty. Something I gave it up for Lent. That's what I gave up for Lent was road rage. And I really <laughs> love it. That's the end save my life. This, the Harold and Maude soundtrack. That's all I listened to. And it kept me like Zen. It was perfect. And if, if I did go to snap, like, oh, I just stopped myself. Like, oh, Lent, Jesus, Lent, Jesus. Oh, Jesus too. Lent, Jesus, Lent, Jesus. We're not doing this right now. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely get there. But I also remember times where like I was speeding because I was following an ambulance to get to my, with my mom so I could be at the ER with her. I remember times where I didn't go at a green light because I was sobbing because of the news I just received from the hospital when my dad was dying, you know, just things like that. And that's what I try to do. So like if I see somebody with poop all in their yard and my neighbor, they're disgusting. All they do is have poop in their yard. The police have come multiple times and they still leave poop in their yard. And you know what I did this winter? I shoveled part of their driveway because they just had a baby. And you know what? I don't like them. They make it so I can't use my patio, but they're people. And I just, you know what? I, I, let's try. Like maybe the more kindness I show, they'll clean the freaking poop is my hope, is my hope. Also, I don't want to become like them. You know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. not going to let the bad guys win. They're not changing Gab. Oh, but the point about poop in the yard, I try not to be like, <laughs> mad like hey what the f you know if i'm taking a walk or something because i think well man when your mom is dying your christmas stuff had stayed up till like march and then that lady one neighbor was like oh you're finally taking it down and i was like my mom's been in wound care you know and uh you know so yeah i remember when that i've not been the good neighbor and i was going through something and i just feel like we all this this pandemic has been a trauma and people who have been raised by parents who are like that's not trauma here, toughen up, kid. You know, we all were raised by those people and they weren't right. You know what I mean? They needed yeah. therapy. They needed help for their yeah. trauma. And they just expected us all to buck up. And now this is where we are. Half of us have gone mean and are narcissistic and half of us have gone empathetic. And if we're truly empaths, we can't become them. So like, that's why we have to just keep going. We have to, I'm not going to let them win. I'm not, you're not going to win, <laughs> narcissists. Not going to win. Yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah. I, and I hear that. And that's why I hate when I, I, I hate when I keep saying, Hey, and I like, you know, I will literally get in the car and go, don't, don't do it. Janine stuff. And I'm starting to like sing. Cause maybe singing kind of makes it better. Like I'm like, everyone's an asshole. And then I kind of like make a song out of it. I'm like, don't be a jerk Janine. You know, not just like, like it lightens it a little bit. Cause I like, to your point, like, don't let them, I don't want to be that per I don't want to be this like 50 year old curmudgeon. That's just like, Oh my God, I'm too young to be crusty. 
can't be that crusty already in your 30 you cannot be crusty lady you can't you cannot i mean jamie lee curtis has proven that 70 is the new 40 so we're all done like i mean women in their 70s are such badasses right now we gotta step up our game like we have to be badasses at 90 we've got to be like chloris leachman like those ladies holy crap that's a lot that's a lot well i mean look at helen mirren she's smoking right i mean my gosh like, come on the older the better i'm telling you i'm so excited 50 i'm hoping i'm gonna be like if I go gray, I'm going to do like the regal silver. I'm like pumped, real <laughs> short hair. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be real good. I might even do the fohawk. Who knows? Who knows? Going wild, baby. Excited. So much good stuff to come. The, the silver haired Gab is on the way. The silver haired red dad, she's coming. <laughs> oh my God. I hope I also start surfing then because the silver surfer is one of my favorite. It would be so cool. Oh, wow. Wow. You're, you're totally exceeding anything I'm doing at 50. I'm like, Oh man, I'm becoming a curmudgeon and my toes, my toe doesn't want to bend my, my left big toe. I'm like, is this arthritis or gout? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not shining at this moment. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, too much Chardonnay. Okay. All right. So I, you know what? I don't even really have any more thoughts or I mean I have oh my god I always have thoughts yeah but I don't, I don't really have what do you what is there anything else that you want to share um as we do enter uh, mental health awareness month and like I said it's not just one month it has to be always but is there any like I mean I think we've touched upon a lot of it kind of like the whole idea of kind of realize everyone's going through something and kind of honoring it with kindness and know that you've been through stuff and maybe you weren't at your best at a certain time. So trying to kind of like namaste, seeing the light in people that you want seen in you, that whole thing. Um, anything else that we could say, I mean, you're out there, you're telling jokes that you're raising awareness through humor, which I think is awesome. You're doing these talks. It needs to be talked about. That's the other thing we we've recently talked about with the whole, um, stigma around opioid use is, uh, one of the things the recovery people said was, we need to talk about it. Like we're not talking about it. And guess who is talking about it? The drug dealers, they're talking. And when we're not talking, the silence is speaking for us. So let's talk about mental health. Anything else that you'd want to share? Well, on that, I do want to say that I, um, because I do all these conferences, I can get, I have, I keep Narcan with me to, to go to any show. And I think that like, if it is something that you're any comedian or any nightlife performer or anyone who might be in a situation that you know someone who could overdose, like Narcan would have saved my brother's life. The friend he was with got so scared, he abandoned my brother and didn't call 911. Had he had Narcan, my brother would still be here. So I just, I'm a big proponent of that, especially because I know in comedy, I'm surrounded by people doing drugs and alcohol and they find me to be bizarre because I like to be sober to perform because I'm manic enough. Like I just want to ride this mayonnaise wave and just have fun. But um, yeah, I, that would be like one on that. And then I, I guess I just like, the, you know, even just hearing you when you were getting like hard on yourself about being a curmudgeon, like, yes, I want you to be empathetic to you because you've been, I mean, come on, this pandemic sucked and you have mental health issues on top of a pandemic. Like you deserve to be, you know, like be kind to you because you're awesome and you're trying to change the world and you're doing it and you're making people laugh. And so, yes, yeah, so you too. Um, but what else do I want to say about that? I don't know. I just, I, I always want to say that like, please don't have shame. Like there's no shame in talking to a therapist. It doesn't mean you're mental. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It means that you care about your mental health. That's what it's about. I mean, once again, like the way I talk about comedy where it's rooted in the patriarchy, I mean, Hello, Sigmund Freud. I mean, really, do we not think that a lot of these, I mean, the pharmaceutical industry took over the mental health industry. That's an issue. That's an issue. They believe that yeah. instead of treating your trauma, let's zombify you. This is what you need. You need drugs that are then going to give you facial tics and you're going to chew your tongue and you're going to be rocking all the time. You're going to, you know, you're going to get these side effects that'll last forever. Um, so I don't really like, I, I love about mental health that it's constantly growing, that the DSM changes, um, now that long-term grief is an actual diagnosis that would have really helped me out years ago when I was like, why can't I get over my father's death? Um, just, yeah. I mean, I just think people have to be kind to yourself. You have, to, it's okay to question things. If something doesn't feel right in therapy, there is no harm in trying to get a second opinion. I mean, you do it for your parent with cancer. Why wouldn't you do it for you? Um, love yourself. You deserve to love yourself. Don't give up on yourself. Like you deserve to be here. You, anyone listening right now, you totally deserve to be here. And I mean that everyone, even the people that are driving her crazy right now, you like people who probably like, 
don't want everyone in the world to have equal rights. Even you, I'm sure there's something about you that is awesome. I bet there's someone in your life that you make their day. So who am I to say that you you're not awesome? I'm not going to do that. I refuse to do that. I refuse to sit in judgment. This this life is too hard. So anyway, that's what I would like to say. Um, and I perform for everyone, literally everyone. I do not discri discriminate for who I perform for. I'm in the middle of rural America and my opening line these days is, hi, my name's Gab. My pronouns are she, her. I don't mind they, them. In fact, I would be cool if we all go by they, them, if it could keep one more kid alive and some people will clap. And then I go, I'm basically the opposite of Dave Chappelle and I make Dave Chappelle jokes. But the point is, if anybody doesn't understand the gender thing, I'll stop and like explain it to them in a really sweet way. And I've had like a 97 year old grandma who was in a wheelchair who didn't understand what non-binary was. And I explained it to her. And I was like, just out of curiosity, like I have a godson and if if they came out as non-binary, I would still love them. If you had, would you love your god kid if they came out, just if it would keep them alive? And she was like, absolutely, honey. And the whole audience in Warren PA started cheering and I had driven through two hours of Trump signs the whole way there. So don't give up on humanity. And that's all I'm trying to say. Wow. <laughs> well, then that's, that's saying something. Yeah. And that's another topic for another day. Cause that's something that needs education as well, or an understanding and acceptance. And it's okay that we don't get it right away. That's my one thing I talk about with that's my, my one friend who has a daughter, my goddaughter, who's 21. And it's like, she said, it's difficult for her to get to, when the kids come over, like this one is identifies as she, this one identifies as he, this one. And I don't have that. Cause I don't have kids. So I'm trying to understand it, but like, don't, I, I, I have, be, have patience. Cause I'm struggling with it a little bit. Like I respect oh. it, but I don't fully get it. So I'm working on it. <laughs> And that's what's really cool about, um, I think I find with the trans community is that they like when you meet someone who is trans and if you mess up and you and you're like, oh, sorry, fix that. Don't no worry. Don't worry about it. You know, they don't they, they get it. They get it because it's new to them as well. You know, this is a real new idea. Um, yeah. But anyway, I just I, I for me, like especially doing the anti bully work, there is no you cannot the statistics. The majority of kids who take their own lives are especially kids who are struggling with their gender. And I am not going to just like pretend that I care about all kids and not go to bat for the kids who I'm the most scared for, especially yeah. when like in the states that they live in, they're being told that it's illegal to be them. That's really scary. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I know that, you know, my Catholic followers and my my more conservative followers are like, mm, but I also think that they'll go, well, wait a minute, let me hear. Because like I have friends like my suburban friends who don't get it and they'll be like, yeah, could you explain it to us? And then I just explain. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, and they're like, but I don't want them getting mad at me. And I'm like, no one's gonna be mad at you. I promise. Like, if you're just trying, it's all good. It's all good. It's yeah. Just, well, yeah. Just don't tell someone that they're not valid. And I think that's for everybody. Like, you know, like even in your story about the nun, it's like you were upset, but that's valid. You were valid to be upset by that. Like, some validating kids' emotions is important. I I think everyone's emotions, honestly. Yeah. No, de definitely. And there, really, I love that, like you said, with that 97-year-old, you explained it. I think so many of our problems come from communication or miscommunication. If we just ask, well, what is that? And let's talk about it. And we don't have to agree overnight because I think simplicity, that that's, that's BS. Nothing is like, oh, let's now we get it. No, we don't. And saying you're whether, you know, oh, I'm woke or I'm this or that, like buzzwords are BS in my opinion. Yeah. Like it's oh, yeah. understanding one another talking yep. and then maybe even taking a while to get there because mm -hmm. no one fully changes. I mean, we could pretend and we could be fake, but that doesn't get us there. So let's talk, let's listen and, and get there, you know, through understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I always say like, it's not like having empathy. It's, it's a practice. You have to practice empathy. It's not like, yeah. it's not something that naturally even comes to me. I mean, there's a lot of times I'm just like, ah, white men and then like wait a minute you love a lot of white men stop it no this person just maybe is in a bad mood that's why they cut you off you know what i mean like i really i'm not perfect i it's literally a practice um but i mean what else are we doing we may as well practice yeah Be nice to each other <laughs> yeah that's right yeah it's a good way to think about it. we might as well practice right well why the hell not <laughs> yeah i mean why not? <laughs> what else are we gonna do I don't want to be the meanie mean, so it's the alternative. So yeah, don't practice being an asshole. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. Why would you want to do that? It's not fun. No one likes hanging out with assholes. So, you know, be, be the rad dad, man. <laughs> be the rad dad. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Gab. And now that I know you've been to the sweetest place on earth, you have a place you can go in the Poconos. You're absolutely getting your ass here to Northeastern Pennsylvania so that you can bring your ray of sunshine here because we could use it. And not just, I mean, I love what we've got going on here and we do have a lot of great stuff, but I think it would be awesome to have you here as well. So we're going to get you here for sure. So thank Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. And we should tell people where's the best place for, you're all over the place. I know you're on YouTube, Instagram. Where do you want people to check you out? Because you've got some awesome videos, especially about kids, mental health and that all all that good stuff. I have one of those link trees. So it's like, you know, it's like link tree backslash Gabinesso and you can get to everything. So if you go to my Instagram, it's on there and that's just Instagram backslash Gabinesso, G-A-B-B-O-N-E-S-S-O or Gabinesso.com. My YouTube channel is also backslash Gabinesso. So but if you go to Linktree, all of my links are there and you can find my comedy album, which I'm doing a new one this August. I'm so excited. And awesome. uh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So check out uh, Gab Bonesso on Instagram, the link tree. If you look in the bio, I know I recently discovered link tree and I'm like, Ooh, this is pretty cool. Cause you can click on one link and you get to see all the links where you can click and see Gab. She's been making great videos on YouTube. The kids are not okay. Talking about mental health issues with, with kids. And of course she cares about every age and mental health for everyone. And we all should, because it's important and we're all on this planet together that we're sharing. So it needs to matter. Right. So thank you again, Gab, for joining me. This is the end of national humor month and we launch into uh, mental health awareness month. And in May, I'm going to have a variety of different topics on my podcast. And well, I think I kind of want to focus on growth. I'm going to have some folks on who are literally growing plants and then figurative growth. Uh, I will be talking to some graduates who will be starting their career uh, exploration as they leave college. So all different kinds of topics coming up in May, but thank you so much for listening to another episode of uncorked with funny wine girl. This has been funny wine girl, Janine, uh, Janine Luby, um, May 5th. I will be in the Poconos mountain view vineyard. Check out Meg Getz, who is in the Philly area, but she is from the Poconos. She's going to be headlining my show. I will be doing it along with some other gals. And uh, it's a ladies night. So check out funnywinegirl.com. You can get tickets there. And thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you've learned a little, you've laughed a little. And uh, again, I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of my wine glass.